Hey guys, I'm going to do something tonight that's fairly risky. Um, uh, <laughs> I get no respect. I get no, no respect. That was my wife. Uh, that. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, let, let me tell you the risk uh, that I see is to, first of all that I'll be misunderstood. That is in my intent and motives. And then the other thing is that I will bore you. And um, uh, I hate to see, I, I think there's nothing sadder than, than uh, people bored over God's rich truth. But I, I have uh, plenty of potential to bore you tonight, So, um, and uh, you'll understand in a moment. But I'm, I'm going to do something that may not have any relevance to any of you. Now, I don't believe that or I wouldn't do this. Uh, because I really think it has relevance to all of you. And I'll, I'll try to explain that in a minute. But uh, you may think, well, goodness gracious, I didn't want to hear that business. I just, you know, I'll go way beyond that. But um, uh, let, me, let me try to explain my, my motives. And I, I, first of all, want to ask you to forgive me in terms of uh, the personal reference or a reference to personal experience. There will be a lot of that tonight. And I'll explain. Um, guys, what we're going to concentrate, the reason that the, the first uh, thing that gave rise to my desire to do this is verse 15 of, of Romans 10. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And, and we're not going to be finished with this little section tonight. I'm really, I'm drawing a topic out of it. That means I'm not trying to deal with the text. I've, I, there's a topic in here that I want to address, and I think it needs to be addressed um, for your benefit, not not for mine. But I, I'm not sure I'll convince you of that. Um, but hang in there. Um, let me let me tell you my motives. There are there are basically three, but one of them is is somewhat multifaceted. Um. I, I, I want to fix your attention on this, this business of how uh, and how are they to preach unless they are sent. This idea of being sent. Um, gang, I, I said to you this, I said this to you last week, and I know you think, I, I'm not sure that many of you agree with this, and you might think this is a tad self-serving on my part, but um, I, the New Testament very strongly emphasizes, very clearly emphasizes the primacy of preaching not as the only method, but as the main method of making known uh, the news of salvation. And that, that's not it. wasn't That's not my emphasis. It's it's you find it there. You find it in the text that I read last week uh, in First Corinthians two about the the foolishness of preaching. You might remember I alluded to it last week. It's um, um, it's uh, chapter two. Excuse me, chapter one, verse twenty one. 1 Corinthians 1.21, though uh, it please God through the folly of what we preach. And then you hear, how will they, how will they believe? How will they call unless they are sent or unless there's preaching? And, and then God does that sending, etc. What, what I'm saying to you guys is, is that there is nothing more vital to the evangelistic and missionary enterprise than the faithful proclamation and preaching of the gospel. Now, you might expect me to say that I happen to be a preacher, but I, I'm, I think I'm being fairly 
true to the text. It is not, it is not my opinion that I've opposed on the text. It is something that is right there in the text. And I'm saying there is nothing more vital to the proclamation of the gospel around the world than preaching. And though you may want um, YouTubes and, and um, uh, homilies and uh, sermonettes and, and all manner of other crime and or evil, um, there will never be anything that will replace the primacy of preaching. Not because I'm a preacher, but because the New Testament says that. So that's my first motive. That is, that there is nothing more vital to the proclamation of, of or the, the, the expanding or the expansion of the kingdom of God than, than faithful preaching. Now, lest you think that my motives are completely self-serving, uh, let me give you my second motive. Now, guys, um, this is probably going to excite many of you, maybe all of you, for, for all I know. Um, but in a few years you're going to have to be making a decision that you have never, ever made before. Ever. You're going to have to call a preacher. You're going to have to replace me. And, um, I, you know, I hope that's... Uh, I hope you're not in any hurry uh, to do that. Uh, Susie and I certainly aren't in any, any hurry, but, um, you know, guys, you've never made that decision before. You've never made it. You didn't vote to call me. I was already here when you got here. Um, this church was started, and people came to this church with the preacher already in position. You have never done this. You're going to, I mean, I, one of the reasons that this has been foisted upon me is because, you know, Randy is leaving. And Randy Ray is leaving. I think most of you know that. And we're all celebrating, not, not that we're glad to get rid of him. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's, 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 it's time for Randy to go. He's been here 10 years, Randy. 10 years. And he's going to plant a church in Corinth, Mississippi, and we're excited about that. And uh, in the process of having to try and find somebody to replace him, I, I, I've come face-to-face with this whole process. And Brent and I both have said, this is not as easy as we thought it was. Um, and then I've listened to all these sermons on tape, and, and I told Brent that I deserve a bonus uh, because some of these sermons are absolutely horrible. Horrible. They're horrible. And, and I wouldn't want anybody to have to listen to that. But, I mean, these are seminary grads, and, and I, you know, I say, well, hi, you do. My name's Jimmy. Won't you send me something that you've taught or preached? And so they send me this stuff, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Well, you're going to be in a position of having to make such a decision uh, in, in the near future. And I'm telling you, you've never done it before. Um, and you, you may not know. It's, it's, it's more complex than you think. Uh, it really is. And it's made more so because of the primacy that the New Testament places on the preached word. Now, guys... Um, I, I, I want you, what I'm hoping to do tonight is to try to help you prepare yourselves for that decision. I want to try and help you discover what to look for. Um, now, I may have to come back and do this in a few years, uh, but um, since I'm in this text, 
uh, I thought, you know, I think it's very faithful to the text to talk about this. But guys, um, my, part of my problem in terms of you understanding my motive is that I have only one experience to draw from. Apart from the history of the church, that is, I could, I could draw from church history, but I, I only have one experience to draw from, and that's my own. So consequently, I, I am going to be in the spotlight tonight, and I regret that. I, I don't think anybody want, is particularly interested in hearing my life story. I, I'm not, I, and, I, and I'm very aware of that, and I, and I don't want you to, that's not my motive. My motive is to try and give you an idea of what calling looks like so that you can be better able to recognize it when the time comes. There's some things, and the again, the only experience I have is my own. And so I want to I share some of that with you tonight in the hopes that it will begin to ready you and prepare you to, to face a decision that's far more complex than you think. Um, and, and, and a decision that you have never had to make before. But you will have to make it. Um, you know, we've got some churches in this town where a decision was made and the man lasted 10 months. Maybe you know of that situation. We have another very fine, fine church in this city where they made that decision and, the, and it lasted four years. I hope you don't have to face that. But you're, you're going to have to ready yourself for the decision that's, that's going to, um, to confront you. Here's my third motive. My first motive is the primacy of preaching. The second motive is, hopefully, I, I want to give you information that will help you prepare yourself to detect and spot calling or the call of God in a man's life. And then thirdly, there may be somebody here who is wrestling with the whole issue of calling. I'll tell you this, your session, your board of elders is talking much these days about calling. Now, of course, that word is not found in verse 15, but the word sent is. I said last year, last week, who is it that does the sending? God does the sending. Well, how does he do that? Through a call. So there's a sense in which sent and calling are interchangeable. But I know that's not the word there, but that's certainly the concept. That's the topic. That's, that's what I want to discuss with you tonight. A topic, not the text. Normally, Wednesday nights are devoted to wrestling through a text. As you know, we've been wrestling through it quite a while. But um, tonight I want to talk to you about a topic. A topic of a sense of calling. How does one know if God has called him to do this job of preaching? And in, in, again, I hope you understand that my motive is hopefully some of this information will, will be useful to you um, when you have to make such a decision. Some of you will be on a pulpit committee. Some of you will have to think, uh, you know, oh my goodness, don't do that to me. Listen, there's nothing more critical than a pulpit committee. And and choosing who gets on it, and I won't have a thing to do with it. Choosing who gets on it and, and, and where they go and how they do it and who they choose, it's just, it's just very, it's more difficult than you think. So, let me, let me, let me, um, here's the question I want to address. How does one know if God has called him? And again, you're going to be hearing a whole lot about me. And I, I, as I said, let me, I regret that. Let me, let's start with, um, a passage in Jeremiah 23. <clears throat> Jeremiah 23. Um, verse 32. You don't have to turn there. Let me, let me, let me just read it. Um, 
<coughs> this is um, this is a statement on the part of the, the, the prophet Jeremiah, and he's speaking to Israel. And he says this to Israel. He, he says a, a lot of things like this, but this is one I thought that was the clearest. He says, behold, and God is speaking. He, God is speaking. God says, behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord. And who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them. So they did, they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Here's my point, guys. There is the possibility that there are people who are out there claiming to be in the position of a, a, a preacher or prophet. It's really the same word. But God did not send them. And ladies and gentlemen, I bet you every one of you have a, have an experience in your past where you think, whoa, my goodness, why did he ever end up in the ministry? Um, I, I'm telling you, there is a lot. I mean, you know, in, in going through this thing with trying to replace Randy, I, I listen to these guys and I talk to them over the phone and I think, son, what have you got? I don't know. Now, by the way, I am not the final say. I, 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 I really can't detect that. I can't stand in the line and say, oh, you got a call and you don't have a call and yes, you do and you do. I'm not claiming that. I am claiming simply this. There is a situation where men run when they were never sent. They are, they are off, they're out there doing it when they shouldn't be. Did you hear the little quaint old story about the guy who, um, who, uh, uh, took over a church in rural America and, and he has been a farmer by trade and, and, um, uh, you know, he was just horrible. Just, just, just absolutely soporific. It was, it was just unbearable. And, um, and so one day, you know, the church wasn't going anywhere. And so finally one of the, the, the old elders came up to him and said, uh, Tom, you know, uh, tell me, uh, why did you pursue this job? He said, well, I was out in the, um, I was out in the fields and I saw the letters up in the sky. God wrote the letters up in the sky. P. C. And I knew that what he meant was that I was to preach Christ. The elder said, well, you know, maybe he meant plant corn. <laughs> I'm simply saying, guys, there are folks who are, who are convinced that they have a sense that they, that they should be doing this when in fact they never should have. They run, but they were not sent. That possibility exists. As a result of, I mean, uh, based on Jeremiah 23, 32, and elsewhere, other places as well. Now, so what then does a, a call of the gospel ministry look like? Well, guys, in, in a lot of ways, these are my own words. Some of them are not. Some of them, uh, Charles Spurgeon has written a book called Lectures to My Students. And uh, uh, Spurgeon, you might know, had his own seminary um, there in London. And he had all these students, and he wrote a book, Lectures to My Students, and it's excellent and some of this is right from uh, that volume, but what does it look like? Well, the first thing that I can tell you guys in my own, again, drawing from, is a pressure upon your spirit. There is a, there is a unavoidable sense of weight that hangs on your soul. You, you can't get rid of the thing. You, you, you didn't seek it. It sought you. And it, it is chasing you down. Susan and I became Christians in September of 1970. Um, and I don't know, remember, uh, I'll guarantee you she can tell you this story. But I don't remember the, exactly how long it was. I would say it was like in January. 
We went to church on a Sunday night. Yes, there used to be church on Sunday night. But we went to church on Sunday night, and um, the one of the pastors on this Coral Ridge Presbyterian staff invited us, and we weren't alone. It was about four couples uh, over to their house uh, for dessert after church. Uh, they lived. They had rented this little duplex. It was a jealousy window. It was it was still warm there, and and um, you know it was it's a real palm trees. I can still see it. I can tell you where I was sitting. I can tell you you know the, what the room looked like. And I'm sitting there eating some kind of dessert. I don't remember that because I've had lots of desserts in my life. But um, I was sitting there eating dessert, and the, and this guy's name is Jim Bland. He's a pastor at Coral Ridge. Jim comes over and sits next to me, and he says this: Have you ever considered the ministry? And that's where it started. I wanted, I wanted to rub it off of me. I wanted to get it off of me. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it. But there it was. And it found, it wound its way into my soul and there just began to pressure it. To, to, to exist as a pressure on my soul. Let me give you some advice. Um, Try to get rid of it. Because if you can, you don't have it. Try to, as much, you know, if, if God is in this, it will come back and come back and come back. You know, guys, I, I don't know that how many of these stories I've told you, but um, I'm driving down the uh, Sunshine Parkway one morning. I'm working for Procter & Gamble, and I've got myself a nice little job and a, and a future and a career and a company car and, and um, a good expense uh, account. And, and I'm driving down the, the Sunshine Parkway about to get off someplace, uh, I don't know, in Dade County uh, in Florida, and I am miserable. And this is back when they used to have pay phones. But there on the Sunshine Park, right before you pay your toll, they had, a, they had a bank of pay phones on both sides. And I pulled off to the side. And, you know, Susan and I had been married, I don't know, a year maybe. And I, and I called the church and I said, and I'm crying. And I said, would somebody talk to me? Anybody. I don't care who it is. Would somebody talk to me? This is the most uncomfortable, unenjoyable. I don't want this. And so it, it's this pressure on the soul. And if you can get rid of it, get rid of it. Spurgeon says if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. But um, do not enter the ministry if you can help it. When it comes to the point when you can't help it, then you might have something. But if you can do any other profession and enjoy it, if you can be a farmer or a teacher or a salesman or a anything, do it. But don't come into this thing. Because you're not sent. It's not something that God authored. He has not put this burden on this weight on your soul. I gotta hurry. I gotta move on. Secondly, not only is there a pressure upon the soul, there is a burden in the sense of a, uh, that there's a message that's given to you that you have got to get out. You, you've got to deliver the message to people who haven't heard it. I don't know if you ever heard this story, but when Susan and I, we'd, we'd both become Christians in September, and um, my, um, my mother and father came down to, to see us in Fort Lauderdale. We lived in a place called the Key Palm Villas. My Christian friends called it Pagan Villas. 
because the girls would hang around the, 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 the uh, swimming pool on Saturdays and Sundays, and I'm telling you, it was long before they just weren't dressed. Anyway, my friends would come over and say, Jimmy, you know, what are you doing here? But anyway, my mother, we had a two-bedroom apartment, and my mother and father came to visit with us, and, and I was determined to share the gospel with my parents because my parents were raised in a fairly liberal church. And um, before their visit was over, my mother had locked herself in the second bedroom and wouldn't come out. My wife still hates me for that one. But it was this, this determination to speak to people about this sweet thing known as the gospel. Um, that this gift of eternal life that we had discovered and been religionist churchmen all our lives, but God had given us a message a message that we had to, to we had to we had to bear it so much so that we um, we really created some animosity in my own family. That wasn't my wife's fault. You can probably guess whose it was. But there is this concern, this burden, this weight about this thing has got to be heard. I've got to proclaim it. I remember when I graduated from seminary, we um, we left seminary and went to. And by the way, we got to seminary and and um, people would say things like they would say, you know, you know, we were worried about whether we're going to get a job after we graduate. You know, is, is there going to be a church? You know, and 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 they would all say this stupid thing. They would all say, well, it's going to be fine if you're called. What do you mean if I'm called? <laughs> well, you know, it took me it took me three years to sort that. Well, not that, maybe two years to sort it out. When we left, we packed up all of our belongings in a U-Haul truck um, and headed to, to uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And when I arrived there, folks, I was, um, I don't know, let's say 90% sure that I was called. But there was always that nagging question. So you work through that and, and you come to a place of, of, of greater confidence. I remember when we graduated, we had a job that we, in fact, we had four job offers. Um, and we, we went to Ocala, Florida, the Planet Church. And there was, uh, there was five families down there that were waiting on us. And one of them was the Springers. And the Springers invited me over to uh, meet her brother. Her name was Dottie Springer. And Dottie had a brother by the name of Jim Peterson. And some of you maybe read Jim Peterson's book. He, he was a big navigator. And uh, Jim Peterson wrote a book back in the 70s that was, that was widely acclaimed. It was a good book. And I think I've still got it. But that um, was her brother, and so she invited me over to meet Jim, and so I sat down with Jim, and this was this, you know, this dude, and, you know, I just fresh out of seminary, and he said to me, he said, why do you, um, why, what, what do you, what do you want to accomplish here in this city? And I said, it, in fact, when I, when I think about it now, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that I said this, but I said, um, I want to close down every liberal church in this city. And, and when I walked out, I thought, I can't believe I just said that. that. That was, it was offensive. It was, it was, it was rather, it was, I don't know. First of all, I'm not even sure that I can tell you what a liberal church is and which one it is and which one isn't. But the point is, guys, I had a message. A message that was weighing heavily all over me. Still have it. And, um, it, it, it has to be communicated. And when you come to the place where you can't do anything else about it, um, then you just may have a call to ministry. Um, there's a statement. This is my third characteristic of a call to ministry. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians 2, 
says this. This is verse 16. He says, um, uh, to a fragrance, death to death. Who is sufficient for these things? Here's my third point, guys. You have to be talked into it. There is a certain fearfulness about doing this task, about doing this job. You know, I don't know if you know the story, but Martin Luther, when he, uh, he was a Roman Catholic priest, and when he performed his first sacrament, the Eucharist, he was so overcome by it that he couldn't perform it. He fainted or he, he ran out the back door. He just couldn't do it because it was too sacred. It was too holy. It was too, it was too, it was too important. And then he finally had his experience in the, in the Sistine Chapel and all that business. And that was, that's, then history was written. But in the beginning, it was so, he was so overwhelmed with the, with the importance of the thing that he was doing that he had to be talked into it. I'll never forget, folks, um, uh, Jim Bland had started this business about, do you think you're called to the ministry? And I thought, oh, no, no, no. I want to make money. I want to climb very high in Parker and gambling. I want to buy a boat. Leave me alone. And, um, um, so we were wrestling with how could we afford this? I mean, what do we do? I quit my job. We don't have any income. Yeah, we can't do this. This is crazy. Forget it. We can't do that. No, no, no. Then I'd call my daddy. My daddy said, son, don't do that because you're going to be a big star in, in Parker and Gamble. Oh, don't do that. He did that. He didn't say those exact words, but that's what he said to me. My daddy said, oh, son, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And my, my mother-in-law said to her, one of her friends, you know, my daughter, they're just happy to have meat. When we were in seminary, they said, you know, they're just happy to have meat. Well, anyway. But um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did eat some bugs and the beans one time. But, uh, but, but, but anyway, um, you have to, we, were, we were under about whether we're going to get the money to all this. And so we went to church I mean, another Sunday night. And, and all of a sudden, this guy walks up from behind me. His name was Bill Higert. I can still see him. He walks up behind me. And he taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around. I had never seen the man in my life before. And he says, hey, I understand you're, uh, you're interested in going to seminary. And I said, he said, if you are, we're interested in supporting you. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, now, <clears throat> I don't want to do this. Anyway, so I met with that little committee. And you know how much money they sent us in three years of, of seminary? Three years. Of, and and we, we, were, we were leaving, basing, you know, they're, they're going to support us through seminary. You know how much money they sent us in seminary? One check, 500 bucks, about uh, three weeks into it. That was it. Never heard from them again. <laughs> you, know, you know what we give our seminary guys that leave here? $700 a month. How about that? I got one check, 500 bucks. But you know, that's not the point. The point was, it was God continuing to chase and unrelenting and I'll make the monies available. And by the way, I'll tell you this too, just as an aside. We had more money in seminary, more disposable income in seminary than we did for the first 10 years of our marriage or the first 10 years of our ministry. Of course, we had three little consumers then too, but they were, uh, but I mean, my point is God, God, we, we were fine. We were fine. But all I'm simply saying, guys, is it's, it's something that you have to be talked into. It's not something that you, that you, that you clutch for your own and snatch away from somebody. It has to be, it has to overtake you. Number four. A fourth characteristic. Um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 16. He says, um, for, for if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
You know, I'm a Bible teacher, guys. I'm not so much of an evangelist. But there's a, there's a sense of necessity. You know, this, you know, I got to do it. And when you sense that there's a sense of necessity, then you may have a calling. And he might make you a good preacher. Guys, that's not to say that you don't. I mean, I tried to quit. Susie will tell you this story too. About five or six years into it, I was reading the Sunday paper one afternoon, and it was the, they were advertising a Procter and Gamble job in, Jackson, in Jacksonville, Florida. And we were going up through um, Jackson for school. I had a, my doctoral program stuff, and I had a course with Pat McMillan. Pat McMillan is my hero. You don't know that name, but uh, he taught a course on uh, administering for progress in the church. Uh, while we were at one, one, we were there one time, and Billy Graham called him, uh, and he had to leave the classroom. Billy Graham, I mean, this guy's a dude. But anyway, so Pat McMillan and I went out to um, out to breakfast one morning, and I told him, I said, "I'm had it. I'm sick of this. I don't want it anymore. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore." And he listened to me, and listened to me, and listened to me, and he said, "I tell you what, how about this?" I'm going to be in Atlanta. When you get through school, you're going to go up here and see your folks for a week. When, you, when you're driving back through Atlanta, if you want to leave, call me, and I've got a job for you. So we went to Memphis, and, you know, and we, <laughs> we had these three little girls in this big old brown van. <laughs> That's another story entirely, but we had this big And we're driving through Atlanta, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I was shaken. never slowed down. Wish I had. <laughs> um, there's this passage in Jeremiah 20. And um, it's a wonderful passage, folks. Um, and I heard a man preach it um, Joel, Joel Gregory, yeah, Joel Gregory. I heard Joel Gregory preach it, and, and he, he entitled his sermon, When God's, let's see, is it God's man? When God's man gets depressed. And his text was Jeremiah 20. And Jeremiah 20 is when, when Jeremiah says, God, I've had it with you. I've had it. You lied to me. You lied to me. And when you get lied to by God, ladies and gentlemen, you've been lied to. And, there, and Jeremiah says, I've had it. I quit. I don't want any more in this. I'm turning to my prophet's card. And then the next text says, I think it's verse 4 or 5. He says, but if I no more speak in the name of Jehovah, there is within me a fire in my bones. You go find that fire, ladies and gentlemen. And don't settle until you've found it. Nobody needs to occupy that pulpit out there who doesn't have a fire in their bones. That, that don't have a certain sense of necessity. Um, Got to hurry. But that sense of certainty, this is number five, a sense of certainty, that sense of necessity outweighs your sense of risk. Guys, there are risks in going into the ministry. Uh, everybody knows who goes into the ministry that you're cutting your earning potential in half if not more. <laughs> but um, you put your... I guess the hardest thing in the world for me was to put my family in the hands of other people. 
And that's what happens when you're in the ministry. There are other people who make decisions about the well-being and the welfare of your family. I guess that's true in every profession, but um, several places in the Old Testament, um, the Lord comes to the Levites and the and the, uh, the the priests, and He says, "Now the Levites are going to have this, 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 and this, but you priests, you don't get an inheritance. You get nothing because I'm your inheritance. I'm your possession." And there's that sense of certainty that outweighs whatever risks that are involved. And that has got to be a part of it. And then sixthly, a couple more things, I'm done. The church, that is, the church must recognize what it is that you think is a call. Folks, they they used to tell us that the one way you you can spot a leader is to look over your shoulder. You get that? Is anybody following? Because if nobody's back there, you ain't a leader. Um, If the church cannot recognize gifts of proclamation in you, you hadn't got it. And so stop kidding yourself. A couple quick things. Back to the text. The text says, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is probably the most important of all that I've said. Um, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Guys, that last sentence in verse 15 is a quote from Isaiah 52, 7. And if you want to go check out Isaiah 52 later on, it would be well worth your while. It's a wonderful, it's a beautiful passage. But uh, the context of Isaiah 52 is that the people of God are in the captivity of Babylon. They're, They're in Babylonian captivity. And they are waiting for somebody to deliver the news of their deliverance. They're in this, they're in this setting where they are, they're in bondage and they're, they know that they've got to be delivered from without. And so they wait longingly and passionately that someone would come over the hills and announce that you've been set free, you've been delivered, you're, you're free now, you're free to go, the Babylonian captivity is over. And then you get this statement, how beautiful are the feet of those who bear good news. Guys, have you ever heard this story? Um, do you know where we got the term marathon? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a often told story that a marathon, you run a marathon. Well, the, the term marathon is picked up from a piece of Greek history. It refers to an event that occurred when a, when a runner left the battlefields of marathon to head into Athens to announce to the city of Athens the outcome of the battle. The, the, the path from Marathon to, to Athens was a little over 26 miles. You know why Marathon is 26.2 miles. And, that, and the, the route there was pretty much uphill. This is a true story. When the man arrived at the outskirts of Athens... He fell over and gasped, victory. And then he died. (laughs) And that's how you get the term marathon. It was a battle at marathon. But he was, the point is, 
He was announcing good news. Ladies and gentlemen, look hard. Look very hard. at what he calls good news. There's not enough scrutiny that to be done. You look and you look and you look and you look because the one who is sent, the one who is called, bears that message. And that's the only one he's got. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't preach Christianity. I preach Christ. That's the only message I've got. That's the only message we've got is Christ. Christ, Christ, and more Christ. Christ in all of His beauty. Christ in all of His fullness. Christ in all of His redemption. Christ. Now what came out of that is a system called Christianity. I don't preach that. I preach Christ. There's a story, and I'll, I'll, I'll quit with this, but it's told about 17 hands. That, uh, Ray Steadman told it. Well, no, it was in a James Boyce book. James Boyce told a, book, uh, told a story that he heard um, that Ray Steadman, it was in one of Ray Steadman's books, and Ray Steadman was telling the book uh, something that he heard Harry Ironsides tell. So Harry Ironsides to Ray Steadman to James Boyce to me to you. <laughs> and uh, it was about uh, Harry. There was a revival that was conducted in Chicago, and the and the speaker was a guy by the name of Gypsy Smith. If you know anything about revivalism, you'll know the name Gypsy Smith. He was he was called Gypsy because he was raised in a Gypsy camp, and he would often tell these fascinating stories about life in the Gypsy camp. And so Harry Ironsides went to hear him preach one night, and he says the whole thing. Um, was um, stories about living in a gypsy camp. And he closed up his sermon, he gave an invitation, and 300 people came forward. Harry Ironside said, I don't know why those people went forward. What did, they wa- did they want to become gypsies? Because he hadn't given them any message of good news. We, we don't preach gypsy camps. We preach Christ. A person. All that he taught and all that he said and all that he did and all that he is and all that he promises, all of his beauty, all of his personhood, all of our union with him. That's what we preach. And so, there's only one person whose feet are beautiful. There's only one message that that results in feet being beautiful. You better find it. You better look hard for it. You better make sure that whatever is in your future bears that message. It's the only one we got. Hope that helps. Our Father, I do pray that you will equip your people and ready them for whatever challenges that exist in front of all of us. Um, And I pray that you will um, uh, use this brief description to stir up uh, the souls of other men and women in this room, perhaps, who are contemplating what it is that you would have them do with their lives. I pray that you would use Grace Evan to put people in the ministry and on the mission field. I pray that from this uh, this body of believers, we'll find uh, men and women who are ready to, uh, that are so confident, that are so burdened, that have such a pressure from the the Spirit of God, that they can do naught else but throw themselves and fling themselves into a life 
uh, of faithful proclamation. Would you do that with Gracie Van, Father? But in these coming years, would you prepare this congregation to, um, to make decisions that will affect them and their children for years to come? We commit ourselves to that, Lord, and, and pray that you will empower this congregation to be a position, a place of broadcast of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.